this morning. Turn with me to 1 Timothy, and let's go to chapter 3. We want to pick up our, our teaching out of verse 14 through 16. We're just looking at a few verses, but as if you were here last week, we began 1 Timothy in chapter 3, and we spoke about the qualifications of leaders. And we came to that conclusion that, yes, this is a pastoral epistle. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, they're uh, teachings to the leadership. Paul is speaking to those at Ephesus. And he's writing to young Timothy. He was a young pastor. Many believe that he was placed there and that he was the overseer. But as we saw last week, it's not just that maybe we'll never be in the pulpit or that God uh, calls us to the ministry. But each one of us are servants of the Lord. And so we look at the pastor, we look at the elder, we look at the deacon, and bottom line, they're servants of the Lord. You come to saving grace, you're a servant of the Lord. And so the qualifications of a servant, how do we act? This morning we're going to see how do we conduct ourselves inside the church, but mostly what about outside the body of Christ? How important it is. And so this morning, Paul is going to be speaking about this mystery of godliness. And we come to verse 16. There are six points that he makes. And we really want to draw from them. But let's begin here. I just want to read these three verses. And then we're going to go back up and make some commentary. And so he begins here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse 14 with me. Paul begins and he says, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Then he clarifies it, which is the church, the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now, we're going to see that this godliness is Christ. And yet we often will say, well, he's a godly person. She's a godly person. And the only reason there's any godliness in us, it's because of Christ. The only reason there's any righteousness in us is because of Christ. People say, well, he's a holy person. If there's any holiness, it's because of Christ. And so listen to what he says here. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and then lastly, received up in glory. Paul desired now, as we're going to get into the letter, he desired to get back to Timothy, to Titus, and to minister to them one-on-one, -on -one, face to face. But we're going to see, historically, it never happened. Paul wanted to, and yet the Holy Spirit had him to write this. We know that he's in Rome, and we know that eventually he's beheaded by Rome, by Nero himself. He gives the order. But we want to speak about this mystery of godliness. I think each one of us, you know, we get a hold of a good book and we'll say, oh, I like that book because it had such mystery. We'll see a movie and say, man, I love because I'm trying to figure it out towards the conclusion. We like a good mystery. We like something that's hidden. We like treasure. We like, we like to look. And so we speak about mystery. Now we're going to be speaking about the mystery of godliness. 
Now, mystery in Scripture is a totally different uh, subject. Now, this morning, if you're born again of the Holy Spirit, a lot of these mysteries have been exposed to your heart. We know because the Holy Spirit speaks to us. We know because we study the, the Scriptures. We know that there's a conviction of the Holy Spirit. We know these things, the Scripture says, because we know these things. The Holy Spirit reveals them to me, to you. Now, I, I did some research, the word mystery, when we speak about it in the New Testament. And some of my Bible dictionaries, Unger's Bible dictionary says mystery. He says, in the New Testament, the use of the term mystery has reference to an operation or a plan of God hitherto unrevealed now until his time. Until his time. Well, if you're a Christian this morning, 2,000 years ago, it was his time. God sent his son to become the mercy seat for each one of us. We know this now. But there are those that are outside the realm of Christianity. They still don't know it. Nelson's Bible Dictionary says the word mystery. The hidden eternal plan of God that is being revealed to God's people in accordance with his plan. And again, 2,000 years ago, Jesus... This mystery that was revealed to us. We know now that he is the Messiah. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We're going to see in his incarnation, he's all God, he's all man. This is a mystery to so many. Easton's Bible dictionary says the word mystery. A truth undiscoverable except by revelation, long hid, now made manifest. Now, listen to these verses. Isaiah 9, 6. Isaiah writes, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. No longer a mystery. Now, I want you to see this when we get to come around uh, Christmas time. It's a joyful time. Who doesn't like Christmas? But I want you to see that baby in the manger scene. That little Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes. We say, oh, look at cute little baby Jesus. Always remember this. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. That child was born to die for the sins of mankind. Uh, no longer a mystery to us. Fawcett's Bible Dictionary says the word mystery. Listen, a spiritual truth uh, hitherto for hidden, incapable of discovery by mere reason, but now divinely revealed to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's two verses that I really enjoy. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, and Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, when we speak of Christ, when we speak of the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is the unveiling of who Christ is. Revelation 1, 8, Revelation 22, 13, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus says, I'm the A to Z. I'm the beginning, I'm the end. It's no longer a mystery to us. Now, years back when I went to shepherd school, it was given to me thus. The word mystery. A previously hidden truth now divinely revealed to you by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Remember when you first heard, listen, brother, listen, sister, you need to be born again of the Holy Spirit. 
I did exactly what Nicodemus did back in John chapter 3. How can I go back in to my mother's womb? And yet the Bible says that I need to be born again from above. There needs to be change. There needs to be a transformation. Religion cannot save me. I need a relationship with God. And so these beautiful mysteries that have been revealed, these beautiful mysteries that have been uncovered, Remember when you first heard the term, uh, listen, brother, you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I mean, what is he talking about? What do you mean I was washed in, in the blood of the Lamb? You have to understand the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you would come in, Dad, especially, you would bring in a turtle dove. You would bring in a lamb. You would bring in a goat. You would bring in, you know, a sheep of some type. Or uh, if you had the finances, you had a good-sized family, you brought in a bull. And it was sacrifice for your family. There has to be the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Well, that was done uh, week after week, year after year, especially on the Day of Atonement. But Jesus becomes the complete sacrifice. Jesus becomes uh, the complete high priest. We don't no longer need a high priest. We no longer need a sacrifice. He died once and for all. And by his blood, listen... He has washed us afresh and anew. He has taken our sins and made them white as snow, the scripture says. It's no longer a mystery. And I believe that by faith. And so Paul, wanting to get back to Timothy, but just in case I don't make it, I want to speak to you about this mystery and so let's get busy here in verse 14 now, this great mystery. And so he begins this, just this little oracle. These things, Timothy, I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. Now the Greek, Paul is saying that he trusted that he would visit Timothy in Ephesus quickly. But historically, we know that this never happened. But shortly after the letters of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus, Paul was martyred. Historically, we know that. We know that he died there in Rome. But listen to the phrase there in verse 14. These things I write to you. And so Paul wrote this epistle. These three epistles are called pastoral epistles. He wrote instructions to the church concerning church order. These pastoral letters of encouragement. Yet Paul was hoping to see Timothy personally, in person, to give further or deeper instructions on church order. And yet, he had no idea that he was going to die. That's a good concept for us. So many times we make plans and we make, you know, appointments and such, and generally they come to pass. And pretty much I have an idea what I'm going to do tomorrow. Pretty much you have an idea. But sometimes God makes changes. I mean, every week all you got to do is pick up your, your paper and read the obituary section these people had no idea that it was their time to die. It's appointed un, un, unto man once to die, then the judgment. And so we have our plans, and we have our schedules, and we have our regimentation. But do we seek God's will? I don't do it all the time, but I like to remind myself when I get up in the morning, Lord, what's your will for me today? Oh, I pretty much know what I'm going to do, but Lord, what's your will for me uh, today? Do we seek the face of God? Timothy, I want to be there shortly. He never got there. 
But just in case, look at verse 15 now. But if I'm delayed, I like Paul. He says, but if I'm delayed, write, so I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself. Listen to what he says. In the house of God. But then he clarifies it. Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. I like when you read in scripture this little word, if. It's conditional. He says, if I'm delayed. Little did Paul know, did he? The word delayed, if I slack, if I tarry, if I'm held back. And we know now, historically, Paul never went back to Ephesus. It's believed that, as we shared, he was beheaded by Nero. But I love what Paul does next. I believe that the Holy Spirit's leading him to write. Because he would not get back to Timothy. Remember, Timothy, his name meant venerated of God. He says, Timothy, that you know how you ought. Now, the word ought is better translated in the Greek that you must. Listen to what he says. You must conduct yourself. And the word to conduct, how do I act at church? Well, we come in and we come in pious. We come in greeting. We say, God bless you. We say, good morning. But I have to ask the question, how do we act outside the walls? You see, it's easy to be a Christian here, but tomorrow, at your workplace, at school, at home, especially that workplace where they don't like you and you don't, they don't like, you don't like them, how do you act? He says, how do you conduct? The Greek there, how do you behave? How do you abide? How do you converse? How do you keep yourself busy in the house of God? And he's not speaking about the church building. He's speaking about the individual house of God, the body of Christ. Back in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 3, Paul writes about this body. And he says, know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, we love our church, and we, you know, clean it, we vacuum it we mop the, uh, the the restrooms and such we get everything ready and we have a certain pride for our church building but when you leave Jesus goes with you now when somebody's here at the church Christ is here obviously but there's days when you know we leave in the evening or we leave in the afternoon uh, the building's empty but know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so you're going to take it outside these walls. How do you conduct yourself? It's good to be a Christian here in the body of Christ. We all can turn around, Richard said, turn around and greet somebody. We have the Christianese. God bless you. God bless you. Oh, how are you? The hugs, the, the kisses, whatever it might be. But how do we do it outside? How do we conduct ourselves outside of the walls? of the temple yet you're the temple of the holy spirit and so then he speaks about the pillar now basically we're called pillars we're called the posts there in the church we're called the bases there but listen we know that the foundation is christ it is so important this ground of truth. 
Now, there's a beautiful passage of Scripture. In John chapter 14, verse 6, one of my favorite passages, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to my Father but through me. We must go through the cross. That's another mystery. Well, listen, many roads lead to God. Not what the Scripture says. The mystery of the church, we must go through Christ. Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And we're going to see that this morning. Now, when we speak about the pillars again, I want you to turn to a passage. Go with me to Galatians chapter 2 and look at verses 9 and 10. Now, Paul comes to saving grace. If you know anything of Saul of Tarsus, before he becomes Paul the Apostle, he was a very religious man. The Bible says that Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, he was a Benjamite, came out of the tribe of Benjamin. The Benjamites were known as the fighters. We know that he belonged to the Sanhedrin. Historically, we know that. Paul was this Pharisee of Pharisees. He boasted that on the eighth day, I was circumcised. And so when it came to the law, Paul was a doctor of the law. But he comes to saving grace. And then all of a sudden, the law is secondary. Now, there was nothing wrong with the law, but we couldn't complete the law. And, and we're going to study a passage later on. The law was pointing to the cross. These animal sacrifices were pointing to the complete sacrifice, which is Christ. And so Paul had to deal with the pillars of the church. Now, in Galatians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, he's making reference back to the first Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15. But look at verse 9. And when James and Cephas, this is Peter, and John, and I like what Paul writes, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and that they would go to the circumcision. So Paul loved this, his ministry. You know, before he boasted on the eighth day, I was circumcised. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Speaking of the law to the letter. But now Paul's a changed man. He recognizes, this is why he's writing the book of Gal Galatians. He's been set free. It's not about the circumcision. And the Jews were very adamant. Now it's interesting if we, remember we started Timothy? Timothy was half Jew and half Gentile. Before Timothy took off on the preaching circuit with Paul, he chose to be circumcised. And Paul said, all right. Now, Titus, when we get to Titus, he was all Greek, and he chose not to be circumcised. Again, Paul says, okay. See, it wasn't law anymore to Paul. But there was this Jerusalem council. Okay, Gentiles are coming to saving grace. Do they need to be circumcised? It was a fight. It was an argument. And so Paul recognizes now that they were given the hand of fellowship. You guys go to the Gentiles. We're going to go to the circumcision. And it was good. But look at verse 10. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Paul was not going to forget the poor. In fact, we study the book of Acts, and the Jerusalem church became very poor. They gave away everything. So Paul, when he goes to the Gentiles, 
He does the Gentile circuit, and he gathers finances, brings it back to Jerusalem. And yet there were those still adamant. Listen, Paul's out there preaching to Gentiles, but nobody's getting circumcised. That was their whole hang-up. Be careful when you come to Christ, and then somebody says, Have you done this? Last week we had a beautiful water baptism. And I love when, you know, the body of Christ says, hey, we, there's a few of us that want to get water baptized. We had a good turnout. But we are quick to let them know that is not your salvation because there are those that want to be water baptized thinking that's their salvation. You see, the work that God does in salvation is our hearts. Water baptism is an outward work. We're identifying in water baptism Christ is death. We're saying in Romans 6, reckon that old man dead once and for all. And we can water baptize you all day and all night. That's not going to save you. Paul says, I thank God I only baptized two of you, Gaius and Crispus. Paul was not in the baptizing business, but he wanted to save souls. Now, what's interesting, this, this whole issue in the book of Acts chapter 15, this Jerusalem consul, should they be circumcised? Should they not be circumcised? If they would have gone back to the teachings of Moses, Moses said it himself. He says it's not the foreskin that needs to be cut, but it's the heart that needs to be cut. That was Old Testament and still New Testament. Be careful that we want to change the outward man. So what does a Christian look like? Well, let's cut here and let's cut there. Let's put this. Let's take that off. No. In the book of Ezekiel, God said to Ezekiel, I want to give you a new heart. I want to take away that stony heart. I want to take away that callous heart. And I want to give you a new heart, a fresh heart. God wants to change our hearts, church. The whole book of Galatians was, we are finally free in Christ. I don't have to do the meat laws. I don't have to do the dairy laws. I don't have to do the Sabbath laws. I don't have to do the moon festival. And the list went on. But I am free in Christ. And Paul, man, he went, he, he took that to the bank, if you may. Be careful when everybody wants you to do this, wants you to do that. And so the beautiful part of my freedom in Christ I come to this relationship not a religion but a relationship I receive Christ as my Lord and Savior now there's a lot of things I don't understand now that I've been a Christian I understand more but in the beginning listen Bob you're born again what does that mean listen Bob you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb wow what does that mean Listen, one day the Lord's going to rapture us out. What does that mean? There's a seven years of tribulation coming. I remember these things. I'm going, okay, sounds good. But I didn't know. Mysteries that have been revealed. And so now we go to verse 16. Let's go back to our text. And here's what we're going to key on now. Speaking of this mystery of godliness, he begins here. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And he gives us six points here. And this godliness speaks of Christ. Jesus Christ 
it tells us here that God was manifested in the flesh. Secondly, Jesus Christ justified in the spirit. Thirdly, Jesus Christ seen by angels. Fourthly, Jesus Christ preached among the Gentiles. Number five, Jesus Christ believed on in the world. And then lastly, point six, Jesus Christ received up in glory. Now remember the word mystery. A previously hidden truth now divinely revealed to you by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And so look at verse 16, the beginning here now. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Let me break this down to you. I like the New Living Translation, real simple. Without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. And now let's look at the Greek. Without any confession, great, and the word is large or loud, is the mystery. The word mystery a religious secret, a religious silence, a religious secret, a religious silence previously shut, but now divinely revealed to me. Of godliness, the word godliness speaks of holiness, the holiness of Christ. And we know that uh, the holiness of the gospel, the holiness of his word, now, what blows your mind is that God says, you're now holy. And I look at my life, you look at your life, and, and I'm not holy. But it's Christ in me. It's Christ in you. The Bible says that you're righteous. I look at my life, and the Bible says I'm righteous. And, and yet, because I'm born again of the Holy Spirit, you're born again of the Holy Spirit. You're righteous, but I know that there's no righteousness in me. But because of Christ, you are righteous. You are holy. You are set apart, but it's because of Christ and because of his tremendous grace. Now, all of this has been revealed to all mankind for the last 2,000 years. And here's the key. And we're going to begin this first mystery, that Jesus Christ is God. You see, in our society today, in our world today, Everybody has a concept of God. You can go outside and you'll have those that'll look, you know, at the creation. They'll look at, you know, the mountains. They'll look at, uh, let's look at the trees. And they'll say, that's God. Some that, you know, love the animal life, that's God. And so everything incorporates God. Well, my Bible says that Jesus is God. You see, what man wants is, you know, many roads lead to God. Well, again, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man gets to the Father but through me. What do I do with that? Jesus says he's the only way. Well, you know, many roads, well, you know, your God's different than my God. No, that's not what my scripture says. Jesus is God. And that's what he's going to be speaking about here now. This first mystery, Jesus Christ now, that God was manifested in the flesh. I want you to turn with me to a beautiful passage. Go to the Gospel of John. And let's go to chapter 1. And I want to look, I want to look at verses 1 through 5. Jesus Christ, as God, was manifested in the flesh. Now, if you want a cross-reference, 
right? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Jesus was already there. Now, one of the things that we like to do, uh, you know, here comes Christmas, and, you know, we see baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes, and we assume, okay, now Jesus has come into the picture. And, and you know, December the 25th, we celebrate his birthday. Well, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, Jesus was already there. If you read off of the page to the left, we read to the right. Read off the page, Genesis 1-1. Well, there's nothing there, Pastor Bob. Jesus was already there. In the beginning, God. And so he clarifies it. Here in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, look at verse 1 with me. In the beginning was the Word. And I want you to notice the capitalization. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The Word was not a God. Be careful with those translations. And the Word was God. And so Jesus Christ was before Genesis 1-1. Jesus Christ always was. And then he clarifies it further in verse 2. He, notice that it's capitalized. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus was there, church. Again, be careful that we just place him on December the 25th. And we see little Jesus in swaddling clothes. Well, God sent his son from his throne to become one of us. And that little baby Jesus in the manger was born to die for the sins of mankind. He was in the beginning with God. Look at verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. There's a beautiful passage of Scripture, and I'm just going to clarify it quickly. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. In verse 16, I'm just going to, you know, uh, paraphrase it. All things created by him. Jesus was part of creation. In verse 17, all things consist by him. Years ago, I read an article, and it had to do with the scientific research and such, and I am no scientist from any means. I don't understand things. I see the planets and such, and I thank God that the earth sits on its axis. and so, I mean, praise the Lord. Look at your own human body. How the heart works, and the lungs work, and how the blood works, and I don't understand it. I just say, Lord, thank you. Any electricians? I, all I know about electricity, turn on the switch. And when it doesn't turn on and it don't go on, what's going on? I don't understand it. But God is in control. All things created by him and all things consist by him. Everything that operates, God is in control. You know, when a scientist, a surgeon, a doctor, when they can't explain, they don't like to acknowledge God because it's not part of their intellect. They, they want to have something to do with it, but they don't, do not understand miracle. Well, you know, I understand you creationists, but I believe in the Big Bang Theory. Well, that's okay. And I tell them, somebody lit that fuse. There has to be a creator. And yet, look at some of the things they'll believe. Some of the things that they'll believe. And so, verse 3, all things were made uh, through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Colossians 1, 
Verses 16 and 17, all things created by him, all things consist. The word consist, all things are held up by him. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is this life, and he gives us life. It's amazing to me. Everybody always tries to, you know, keep this body going. And if we could take a solution, a pill, you know, some kind of drink that, that would give us life, life eternal, man, we'd do everything in our power to get it. But sooner or later, this body breaks down. Sooner or later, this body's going to die. But if you know Christ, he is the life and he gives life. I am promised life eternal. In him was life, and life was the light of men. Look at verse 5. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Again, there's a mystery. They don't understand. Jesus, the Bible says, is the light of the world. Darkness is the world. They can't understand it. You were part of that darkness. So was I until we came to Christ. And now he says, you are the light of the world also. So, beautiful picture. Now, I want to skip a few verses. Go to verse 14. We're still in John chapter 1. And this word that we were speaking about, this word that's capitalized, which is Christ, becomes flesh. And so he begins in verse 14, and the word, capitalization, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And he speaks about John the Baptist. In verse 15, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom... I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And so John the Baptist clarifies, Jesus always was. And basically, if you know anything, they were cousins. And uh, Jesus was six months after John's birth. And yet he says he was preferred before me. Look at verse 16 now. And of his fullness... We have all received grace for grace. He saved us. Remember the word grace, unmerited favor? I deserve judgment, but he gives me grace. And even then, because of the things I do and the things that you do, I'm a Christian. You're a Christian. I'm born again of the Holy Spirit, and God gives me grace. And then when I sin, I go, Lord, why? And I don't fully understand grace, but God gives me grace. Unmerited favor. I deserve judgment. Verse 17 is precious. He goes back to the law. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. But grace and truth. You see, the animal sacrifices were continually. I mean, you brought an animal sacrifice one week, you had to do it again next week. But the Bible says that Jesus died for us once and for all. He becomes my complete sacrifice. He becomes my complete high priest. Now, uh, there's a cross-reference out of verse 17, Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. Remember, Paul was set free. So he writes this beautiful book of Galatians. And he says in verse 24, The law was our schoolmaster 
that brought us to Christ. The animal sacrifices were pointing to the cross. The complete sacrifice. Remember when John the Baptist sees Jesus in the Jordan Valley, and then he sees him come to the Jordan. The followers that were coming to follow John, they were asking, should we follow you or should we follow somebody else? And John was just baptizing the remission of sins. But John sees Jesus, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Follow him. Follow him. And so the law was a schoolmaster that brought us to Christ. Conclusion here, verse 18. No one has ever seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Now, what he's saying here, that Jesus is the only one uh, to see the Father. Now, there's a beautiful passage in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. In the Godhead bodily dwells Christ. Now, here's another mystery, the Trinity. We believe in the Trinity. We believe by faith. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When I get to heaven, will I see three gods? Bible says no. Colossians 2.9, in the Godhead bodily dwells Christ. I will see Jesus. You will see Jesus. The only one that has seen the Father is his Son. The incarnation. Jesus becomes this God-man, yet he's all God. Now, just to clarify that, on your own, study Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, before he comes into his public ministry, he's tempted Three times by the devil. Now, he's the son of God. He's the savior of the world. He is God. Doesn't have to put up with Satan. But in the three temptations each time, Jesus declares to Satan, to the devil himself, it is written. It is written. It is written. You see, Jesus becomes man to identify with us. He's showing us that we take care of business through the Word of God, through placing our faith in the power of His Word. And the Word, listen, became flesh, and He dwelt among us. Jesus is God. Now we go to the second mystery, and Jesus Christ justified in the Spirit. The word justification, Jesus made innocent by the power of the Holy Spirit in his humanity. Jesus, the word justified, was vindicated, justified in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowered him from the time of his birth to his death. We see the miracle signs and wonders that he brought forth in a three and a half year span. This was, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Back in Luke chapter 3, verse 23, when Jesus was baptized by John, the Holy Spirit fell upon him in the form of a dove. You see, in his humanity, he needed the power of the Holy Spirit just as we do. And so Jesus identifies with us. Justified in the Spirit, Jesus came, took on flesh, 33 and a half years, three and a half years of ministry. Jesus is arrested. He's tried. He's beaten. 
He dies, he's buried, then he resurrects. There's three beautiful passages of scripture. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Let me give you the first two. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it tells us that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it tells us that the Father raised his Son from the dead. In John chapter 10, verse 17, it tells us that the Son raised himself from the dead. You see the Trinity at work so beautifully. Jesus Christ justified in the Spirit. What a beautiful picture that we see here. He becomes man, takes on man, didn't have to. But he did it to identify with us. He becomes the complete sacrifice. He becomes the mercy seat. He becomes the propitiation for my sin, for your sin. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? He prays three times to the Father. Is there any other way that this cup of death could be taken away? He didn't want to die. In his humanity, he was going to feel every pain. But Jesus says, let not my will be done, but let your will be done. There had to be the complete sacrifice. The animal sacrifices was not sufficient. Now we come to the third mystery. Jesus Christ seen by angels. Now this speaks of the countless times elect angels, created beings, these messengers of God, were associated with the ministry of Jesus Christ in heaven and on earth. In Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, Gabriel the archangel announced the birth of Jesus Christ uh, to a virgin named Mary. Angels had a lot of work. Now, here's something interesting. Angels see us get saved. Angels see man get saved, but they don't understand. They don't understand salvation. But they rejoice over a sinner that comes to saving grace. But Angels were part of Christ's ministry. Angels are part of our ministry. God has angels of protection. God has angels that watch over us. I'm always amazed. Some of us, the things that we get into, I think God puts extra angels on some. I like years ago, we were going on the freeway. We were going to go to one of the prisons back in Southern California and um, we were laughing. There was four of us in the car. We were having a great time, all Christians. And before you know it, the car's getting up to 65, 75. And I think the speed limit was 55 in those days. And one of the guys in the back seat goes, hey, Bob, one just fell off. I go, one? I'm thinking of a dirt clot. And then we keep going, right? He goes, Bob, another one just fell off. And I'm going, two dirt clots, Right? Then he says, Bob, a third one. And I go, okay, what's... He goes, angels that are protecting your tires are falling off. Conviction, I have to back off. <laughs> but what does the work of angels, messengers, announcers... Turn with me uh, to the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 9, 10, and 11. 
33 and a half years. Three and a half of those years, Jesus is in, in ministry. He's arrested, convicted, sentenced to death, beaten, placed on the cross. He dies, he's buried. The third day, he resurrects. The Bible says that there's 40-day post-resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, over 500 witnessed the risen Christ. Now, Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven. Two angels make the announcement there. In Acts chapter 1, look at verse 9 with me. And he begins here. Now when he had uh, spoken these things while uh, they watched, he, wa he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. This is Jesus and his ascension into heaven. Verse 10, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. These are angels. And verse 11, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand there gazing into heaven? And listen to the promise, church. This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. The promise of his return. It's called the parousia of Christ. Now, there are those in the first advent, Jesus' first coming, his birth. We buy that. We don't have a problem with Christmas. We like Christmas. But there are those in the second advent, the second coming of Christ, they have a problem. Well, if Jesus came the first time, you better be sure he's coming again. Now, in the book of Revelation, it's the unveiling of Christ. And there in the beginning, I don't have the verse in front of me. I believe it's verse, chapter 1, verse 7, 8, somewhere in that nature. Anyway, Jesus tells them when he returns, every eye shall see him. Every eye shall see him. That wasn't possible 25, 30 years ago. It is so possible right now. You've been watching the Olympian, Olympic Games, and, you know, we're there. Now, if you really want to watch them, you can stay up at 3, 4, 5 in the morning. They're live. But we're getting the, you know, the repeat performance, and nobody wants to know the score. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. But instant. Russia's invading, you know, Georgia. We know. We hear. Something goes on in the Middle East. We know instantly. When Jesus returns, it's going to be after the seven years of tribulation. He will stand on the Mount of Olives. And that golden grate that's sealed right now. Interesting, the Arabs have put graves there because a Jew is not to cross over. Jesus is going to fly over that. doesn't have to step on it. But every eye shall see him. Every eye. CNN. The Fox Network. I mean, everybody's going to see it. And so you men stand there gazing. This same Jesus will so return in like manner. The promise of his second coming. Now let's go back to our mystery. Look at the fourth mystery. Jesus Christ preached among the Gentiles. The word preached that he was heralded. Remember, we came to that conclusion. The town crier, hear ye, hear ye. That was the heralder. And he brought forth the news. 
He was preached among the Gentiles. The word Gentiles, he was preached among the pagans, the heathens, the Gentile nations. Now, we know that salvation first is to the Jews. There's two passages of Scripture I want you to turn real quick. Uh, the Gospel of Mark chapter 16. And then Matthew chapter 28. This is called the Great Commission. I love what the Holy Spirit did here. You see, the Great Commission is given to the church. Go ye therefore and preach the gospel. Go ye therefore and teach the gospel. There's no error here. But you see, preaching is for the non-believer. And teaching is for the believer. And so in Mark chapter 16, verse 17, and he said to them, verse 15, excuse me. And he said to them, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Will be condemned. Now flip ahead or flip back to Matthew chapter 28. This is the one we're always accustomed to. In Matthew 28, look at verse 19. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And then he changes from preaching teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When you came to Christ, somebody preached to you. Somebody heralded this good news. It was preached, Jesus Christ was preached unto Gentile nations. You heard the gospel for the first time. Oh, you might have considered yourself a religious person. You might have considered yourself a certain denomination. I did. I was born and raised in Catholicism and 12 years of Catholic school. So, you know, I've got it made. But have you come to the born again experience? And so he was preached among the nations. Now we come to saving grace. And we're taught the word of God. Preaching is for the non-believer and teaching is for the believer. You come on Wednesday nights and we teach the word of God. Because bottom line, believers are here. On Sunday mornings, we always can have a mixed multitude. And so there's a combination of preaching and teaching. And so notice that he says here, preached among the Gentiles. We see it. Now I know that I was preached to. And now I know that I was convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to our mysteries. Now look at number five. Jesus Christ believed on in the world. Listen to what the Greek is saying. Jesus was put into trust to the world to believe. You see, Jesus was put there for you, for me, to believe. But God will never force us. We have Free choice. The Bible says we're free moral agents. Jesus Christ was put into trust to the world to believe. It's our responsibility to receive his redemptive work on the cross. He did his part. We must do our part. And here's a good question this morning. Have we, have you, have I received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? The only one that can answer that is you. And if you're not sure of the answer, make sure. Ask Christ to come into your heart. 
Now, as we've shared before, people like to do a lot of different things in order for people to get saved. Listen, brother, you need to raise your hands. Listen, brother, you need to shake a little bit. Listen, brother, you need to start speaking weird stuff. I've heard it all. Listen, you need to start tithing. Be careful with all the additives. Bottom line, all you need is Christ. Listen to this verse. And remember, Paul was into Phariseeism. Paul was into the Sanhedrin. Paul was, a, a, you know, a doctor of the law. Speaking of the law, Judaism. In Romans 10, 13, one of my favorite passages. It's not even with John chapter 3, verse 3. Nicodemus, you must be born again. And yet, it's part of it. But I want to talk about the simplicity. In John 10, 13, Paul says, Those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does that consist of? Well, listen, Pastor Bob, before you get saved, you need to go, you know, get a haircut. You need to get a shave. You need, and people put additives. God forbid, here in the Southwest, listen, brother, you're not saved till you put on a three-piece suit. We'd be roasting. Listen, brother, you're not saved till you... You see, I couldn't go to church in a T-shirt. Levi's were unheard of. We had to have a shirt. We had to have slacks. Don't you dare go into church on Sunday morning in sneakers, let alone flip-flops. You see, God doesn't care about the outside, but he cares about the inside. Oftentimes in our, you know, food room, we also have, you know, portions of clothing, especially right now we're gathering for Klein Park. Years ago, a couple of young kids came into the church, and one of them had a Budweiser T-shirt. Oh, a couple of the elders come up right away. Pastor Bob, they had the T-shirts on their back the, from the closet over here. And they go, there's a couple of guys out there with beer T-shirts. I go, okay. So what's your plan? And he goes, well, we want to give them these T-shirts, go in the bathroom and let them change. I go, why? You're going to lose these guys. They don't know any different. You want to change their T-shirt. God wants to do a work in their heart. In their heart. We're so quick. Those that call upon the name of the Lord, listen, shall be saved. What does that constitute? You're in the plane. It's going down. You got, you know, 20 seconds. Lord, save me. He hears your heart. Guy cuts over to your lane, and you're going 45 miles an hour. He's going 45. It's not going to, you can't avoid it. You've got split second to say, Lord, save me. Those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be saved. Now, we come to the last mystery. And there are so many others. In point six, Jesus Christ received up into glory. Now, we just looked at some of this. This refers to Jesus' ascension into heaven. There's a passage that I like. You can write it down. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10, he, Paul writes, which speaks of Christ, he, Jesus Christ, who descended, is also the one who ascends far above all the heavens. Listen, then he concludes, that he might fill all things. That word, fill all things, he filled all things, and he fulfilled all 
all things. When Jesus dies on the cross and he says, it is finished, it was done. It was done. He didn't want to die on the cross, but he had to die on the cross. There has to be the remission of sins through the precious blood of Christ. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. But if there's no blood, I keep doing it over and over. And there are those that believe that Jesus dies on the cross every week. My Bible says that Jesus died once and for all, and I receive that. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive my sins. Listen, past, present, and future. And that's a mystery. You see, because I know what I am. I know what I did. You know who you are, and you know what you did. And here's the promise. If I ask him, and I mean it from my heart, Lord, forgive me. He forgives us. He forgives us. It's a done deal. That's the mystery of faith. That's the mystery of godliness. That Jesus became one of us. He's all man. He's all God. That's his incarnation. And he dies on the cross to give us life. Why does man make it so hard? Now, there's a process. You don't just say, Lord, come into my life. And you do. But there has to be change. God is all about the changing business. If you were into drugs, God changes you. You're into alcohol, God changes you. If you were into cursing, God changes you. You're into gossip, God changes you. If you mean business with God, he means business with you. I've shared this so many times. If you've been a Christian for a year, I hope and pray you're not the same person you were a year ago. You've been a Christian five years I hope and pray you're not the same person you were five years ago. There has to be change. There has to be metamorphosis. There has to be transformation. And you want to know how you, you know, what's the measuring stick? Moms, dads, you've been a Christian for a time? Ask your kids. Kids don't lie. Ask your kids. Has dad changed? Mm, yeah. Husband asks the wife, the wife will lie to you. Oh, honey, you're the best man in the world. But your kids won't lie. Your kids won't lie. We're not perfect. Listen, we're forgiven. And God changes me. God changes you. God transforms us. That's the power of God, church. The power of God. Let's all stand. We're going to end in a word of prayer. We're going to continue in this beautiful uh, exhortation that Paul is giving young Timothy. Father, thank you, Lord, for your precious word, your word that does not come back void. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the word of God. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you, Lord, for taking our place. And, Lord, right now, as everybody is here this morning, Lord, I don't know, maybe some were preached to this morning, and maybe some were uh, only taught this morning. And that's good. But maybe there are some that still haven't made a commitment to Christ. Lord, I want to give that opportunity. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I like to ask this question. Maybe this morning you're here visiting. Maybe you're here traveling. Maybe you're passing through. Maybe somebody drug you to church, whatever it might be. I'm going to ask you not to leave here without Christ. 
If you're not sure, make sure. I can't save you, but I can ask you to come to saving grace. Right there where you're at, I just want to say a simple prayer with you. If that's you this morning, if you want to be born again, if you need that change in your life once and for all, would you acknowledge by raising your hand? And I'll say a prayer right there where you're at. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand over here. Anybody else in the back? Praise the Lord. Several hands went up. Let's pray for these that their hands went up. Father, right now, in the precious name of Jesus, Lord, you saw the hands that went up. Lord, they acknowledge that they need you, Lord. It's not Calvary Chapel that they've come uh, to need. It's you, Lord. It's what was done at the cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago. Lord, you know their sins. You know their sins better than they know their sins. Lord, forgive them, past, present, and future. Lord, wash them in the precious blood of Jesus. Lord, come into their life. Begin to change them from the inside out. If any man be in Christ, if any woman be in Christ, he or she now is a new creation. Behold, all things are passed away. All things become new. Lord, teach them your word. Give them a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Give them a hunger and a thirst for your word. And Lord, maybe somebody still didn't raise their hand. And Lord, you know who they are and they know who they are. Right there where they're at. They can make that prayer to you in their comfort zone. But Lord, save us. Save these, Lord, that need to be saved. Lord, bless them and power them with your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray for the offerings this morning. As you've given to us, we give back a portion, Lord. Father, bless the offerings. Be with Pastor Jeff and, and Denise and Tim and Elizabeth as they're in Israel right now. Protect them, Lord. And Father, again, we pray for those that have been so ill that are part of the body of Christ. Lord, bless your servants here this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray. We all agree by saying amen. Amen. Those of you that raise your hand, ushers will give you a packet, and we want.